Support for Wavemakers comes from listeners like you and the Tampa Bay Times. The Pulitzer Prize-winning newspaper is available around the Tampa Bay area and online at tampabay.com. Thanks to the Tampa Bay Times for their support. Good morning and welcome to Wave Makers with Janet and Tom on WMNF, a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And answering the phones for us today is DJ Spaceship. If you want to join the conversation, you can call 813-239-9663 and he'll get you through to us. You can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Today's guest has been making waves for decades as one of Florida's best-known historians. A co-founder of the Florida Studies Program at USF St. Pete, Gary Mormino is a prolific writer and public speaker who embodies the idea of a public intellectual. But first, I want to say, we just got the 11 o'clock advisory for Hurricane Adalia, and it is slightly better news for the Tampa Bay area, but not as good news for our friends up north. It appears that it's headed straight for Big Bend around Taylor County, maybe Dixie County, uh, very low population. Hopefully Cedar Key will be okay because it's not too far from the path as well. So we did want to give you that quick update in case you're still making preparations as we should all continue to keep our eye on this hurricane. But as I mentioned, Gary Mormino is the author of an award-winning history of Ybor City and recently won a gold medal from the Florida Book Awards for his book, Dreams in the New Century, Instant Cities, Shattered Hopes, and Florida's Turning Point. Welcome to Wavemakers, Gary. Thanks for inviting me. Delighted to be here. The Tampa Bay Times recently published a talk Gary had prepared for the Florida Department of Education on World War II and the African-American experience in Florida. A week before he was set to deliver it, new members appointed by Governor Ron DeSantis uninvited him. So, Gary... What was that all about? What happened? You got uninvited to the party. I suppose in a word, it's about politics. <laughs> Florida and politics. Clearly, the new board members did not want any negativity, I suppose. And the saddest part of that is I think my talk was a nice balance between positive and, and negative. Uh, uh, a story of race relations in World War II. What were you, what was the purpose of the talk? Tell us what you were set to do and who were you going to be speaking to? I was going to be speaking to Florida public school teachers, a Zoom conference, thousands would be involved, and they asked me to uh, prepare a talk about race relations in Florida in World War II. Yes. I had written about this. I'm now working on a book on Florida and World War II. So it's a, a topic I think I know a great deal about. There was then a delay, and we found out the governor had appointed new members, and then we, a very curt email, your services are no longer necessary. And this was a workshop for teachers on, um, was it about the African-American curriculum or just history, or what was, the, what was the workshop supposed to be focused well, on? Well, since it was the Florida African-American Task Force, it okay. was about 
uh, African American history. So this, this which was is part Florida of that history. So it was part of that discussion about how to teach African American history in Florida around that period of time when there was talk of changing the curriculum. Curriculum. So you were going to be speaking to this task force. You were invited by the task force. Ron DeSantis replaced the members of the task force. These new uh, members uninvited you. No explanation as to why you were not going to be able to speak? Had they, did they know the content of what you were being? They did. I did send them a PowerPoint, which I, I think identified my perspective on this matter, that I did. I was going to talk about lynchings during World War II, but I was also going to talking about contributions of African-American soldiers during World War II. There was one particular family that uh, your uh, piece mentions. Uh, t tell us about that family. The West Tampa family? Yes. Yeah, I mean, how remarkable a story is this? I, I, I've forgotten their last name. I, I think it might have been Williams. West Tampa family on Green Street, seven sons volunteered in World War II. Four of the sons were physicians, graduates of Howard University. I mean, there cannot have been many families in America where seven sons volunteered, not drafted, volunteered to fight for this nation. Uh, just a, a, a feel-good story. And this, four of them were physicians, which is yep. an interesting point because I, I, I've read about uh, some of the concepts behind these the, the new task force and the curriculum and what they want to do. And part of what they talk about is that they want to tell uplifting stories, inspiring stories of African-Americans in Florida and things that they accomplished rather than talking about how horrible it was for them. So that's an inspiring story. That yes, is an is. inspiring story. That seems like exactly the kind of thing that they want to talk about. Here were African-Americans in the 1940s that or 30s that had 40s, yeah. 40s that were um, had become doctors, physicians. Indeed. And, and they, 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 they go to uh, join and they go fight uh, to defend a country that would not allow them to uh, attend a movie at Tampa Theater, just as, as one example. And a further yeah. irony, the physician who developed blood serum to be used for transfusions was an African-American. The military kept separate black and white blood during World War II. So perhaps what was <laughs> offensive to them was just that you were planning on stating the fact that people were fighting, there were African-Americans fighting for this country and at the same time being lynched. And maybe that was just too horrific for them I, to I suspect, actually teach. I suspect the most objectionable was, I talk about that in 1930, in the 1930s, lynchings went down dramatically. There's a famous newspaper headline, lynchings may be extinct by 1940. Every year except one year during World War II, there was a lynching in Florida. In 1945, the only lynching in America. This became a very controversial event. Uh, Governor Millard Fillmore Caldwell, uh, fascinating figure, by the way, uh, never lost an election in his life probably the most handsome governor ever, uh, he objected it to being called a lynching. He said, technically, it was a murder. The mm -hmm. young man in, this is Madison County, the city of Madison in Madison County, had been released by the sheriff to a mob. The mob shot him, and then they hanged him. He claimed, technically, it was not a lynching. 
Oh, because they shot him first? Yes, because... (laughs) And uh, uh, that was the only lynching in the year 1945. So, essentially, you were canceled by um, Ron DeSantis's um, uh, appointed um, task force on um, African-American studies. Um, And then there was also Craig Pittman, um, a a prolific um, author and writer also, um, who knows a lot about Florida, was also supposed to speak on James Weldon Johnson. He, too, was canceled. I mean, James Weldon Johnson is in the pantheon of African-American history. I mean, the... Tell tell our listeners about him. uh, He and his brother are the co-authors of... Lift Every Voice. Lift Every Voice and Sing. They're out of Pensacola. I think he also became an ambassador to Honduras later in his life. He is just an extraordinary character. It became known and as the Black National Anthem. And that's yes. why they object to that, of yeah, course. Yeah, they, they don't like Be, that. But yeah. again, another story of a brilliant, accomplished African-American, you, you know, that it, it seems like that would be something that you would want people to know about. One would think so. Yeah, there does seem to be um, a, a real focus on uh, wanting to, um, well, as the Miami Herald says in a story that came out, I think, yesterday, uh, overall, uh, in the uh, reviews of the AP uh, history uh, program that Florida, the African-American history uh, studies that were rejected by Florida for various reasons, the Miami Herald and the Tampa Bay Times went through finally and figured out why they did it. And uh, overall, there were, it's, it, the story said, there were various statements made by evaluators that attempted to whitewash some of the history lessons introduced in the course materials and to discredit the racism and discrimination mentioned to the extent even uh, they wanted to remove some, uh, sec- they were objected to sections that talked about the slave trade uh, because it didn't make the connection between the slave trade that existed in Africa at the time as if that somehow makes it okay. Well, specifically, it says they want you need to tell the other side. Right. You need they want they felt that the curriculum did yes. not tell the other side of slavery as if they, they there is another side that the unit may not address the internal slave trade system within Africa and that it may only present one side of this issue and may not offer any opposing viewpoints or other perspectives on the subject. Um, and Gary, I know uh, over the years I've run into people who who would, for example, uh, in discussing the Civil War, well, you know, there were black members of the Confederate Army. Well, maybe they could find a couple who were not forced to uh, serve with their masters in the Confederate. But they, they always try to find some little thing that justifies their viewpoint. Is, is, am I wrong there? Or? No, that's that accurate. And, and, and how, as a historian... Uh, because you taught at USF for years, and you continue to teach uh, occasionally at USF St. Pete. How, as an historian, do you deal with that kind of, of, of perspective? Evidence is tricky. Uh, you, you know, the facts, you would think, well, the facts never change, but, the, but they do. Uh, if you look at a textbook in the 1930s, it would be unrecognizable today. I mean, that's one of the sad aspects of this no field has drawn more scholarship than African-American history the last half century. Uh, some extraordinary books. We know more, so much more, and in depth, great stories, great heroes emerging. And I, I, I want to keep repeating, 
one need not emphasize the negative. There's some very powerful role models here. Right. Out of World War II, for instance, um, you've got s some of the most remarkable characters ever. Uh, Harry T. Moore. You know, I wonder how many listeners know. Harry T. Moore was a school teacher in Mims, Florida. Mm -hmm. he, he was the field secretary of the NAACP. He was a whirling dervish in Florida, uh, writing letters. There must be a thousand letters in the Florida State Archives that I've looked at. And he, he's writing with a sense of optimism at the end of the war. He said, that, you know, when, the, when this war is over, we're going to have Africa. There will be an African-American talented group of leaders. They were officers in the war. They were college graduates. It's going to be a new era. In 1946, Christmas Eve, he and his wife are firebombed and killed in their home in Mims, Florida. Mm -hmm. A Tampan, Bob Saunders, Robert Saunders, many yep. listeners will remember him. I knew him. He takes yep. his place. Bravely. Um, yes. Yes, and, and such a, a self-effacing man he was. When I got to know him, he was the head of the Equal Opportunity Office of Hillsborough County Government, and I interviewed him many times. He never once talked about that. Very modest, but what bravery to step in to take the place of a man who had just been assassinated. His Pearl Harbor story, I think, is, is moving. He, uh, he grew up in West Tampa in an integrated neighborhood, Caribbeans, Latins there. He's a freshman at Bethune-Cookman College, December 7, 1941, on a football scholarship. He said, which meant... <laughs> He had to wash dishes. So the Sunday assembly, when the founder and president of the school, Mary McLeod Bethune, who's now, by the way, in the Statuary Hall of Fame, uh, she was addressing students when he hears on the radio about Pearl Harbor. He was washing dishes. And he, he said no one ever interrupted her. And he <laughs> meekly hands her the note. She asked students, we will now sing Climbing Jacob's Ladder and the women will sing to the men, do you think you'll make a soldier? Wow. And Bob Saunders is Army hero in World War II. And Bob used to joke that he was not African-American because he was born in the Caribbean. <laughs> well, that's accurate. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF, and with us in the studio is historian Gary Marmino, and we're talking right now about the challenges of, of teaching African-American history in the state of Florida in a time when um, really we've got people just shutting down um, the truth and not wanting us to teach every aspect of African-American history in Florida. If you'd like to join the conversation or you have a question or a comment, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or you can send us an email uh, to dj at wmnf.org. Now, the Times also published a recent op-ed from you, uh, Gary, about um, slave um, narratives that were gathered uh, during uh, the Depression by the Writers uh, Project. Uh, can you tell us about that and, and what led you to write that? The timing there seemed intended to say that our African-American history is complicated. Well, I love the uh, the Times never uses my headlines, but theirs was better this time. Said, <laughs> That's what, what they're paid to this, do. <laughs> what did slaves think of slavery? Let's ask them. We did. 
And in fact, in, uh, during the New Deal, another classic example during a period of great scrutiny and pain and suffering, some good came out. Uh, one of the most brilliant programs in American political history was the WPA, the mm-hmm. Works Progress Administration, Franklin Roosevelt. And they, they built schools. They, they artists painted murals and post offices. We have them here in Tampa. And one of the programs, this really came out of black, historic black colleges, was the idea there, there is still thousands of former slaves alive in America in 1935, 1936. Why don't we interview them? I mean, wow. I mean, I wish we had done that with immigrants in mm-hmm. the 1960s, but, but they did. And uh, it's a complicated source. History is not simple. Uh, with with think, one side here says this and another side no, exactly. says this. It is, that's the fun of history. Exactly. Well, yeah, and you think of this. So the youngest interviewees are in their late 70s. It's the Great Depression. They're probably suffering. More than a few said, you know, I think I was treated better in slavery than I was during the Great Depression. At least master fed me. Others talked about unspeakable horrors of being tortured, uh, tied up in the sun. So it's a complicated source, but it's a source from slavery. I, I think it would be a fabulous source in the schools, but we're not going to see it. But the, the, hmm. the, 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 the uh, session that you were uninvited from uh, had been scheduled before the state changed its standards for teaching African-American history, which now includes the notion that uh, they should uh, middle middle, uh, school students should be taught that um, enslaved people gained valuable skills through their enslavement. So a job training program. It's sort of a job training program. <laughs> they didn't get paid. Uh, but so what do, you, what do you think of what's... And so that happened, and then you were uninvited. So uh, clearly there was some sort of connection there. I'm not exactly... They still haven't explained why they uninvited you. But the timing seems pretty clear. But what about this notion that they should be teaching middle school students that, you know, there's, a, there's another side to this story? I... I Again, we need both sides of the story. What's crazy, really, about all this is that we're even talking about it with all the problems in Florida today. Mm-hmm. I mean, climate change, a hurricane hitting Lee County again. Uh, there's no answer to the insurance crisis. Mm-hmm. Affordable housing. Affordable housing. And we're talking about what you can and can't teach in black history. This is, this is nuts. But it's also important. I do want to get back to something you said. You said history is complicated. And um, I want you to talk about that because to me, history is fact. So there was there was a fact. We had slavery. There was a civil war. And... And then they were, and they had slavery and horrible conditions. There was a civil war, and they were the South lost, and and you know the slaves were were freed or whatever it is. I mean, the facts are the facts. Why? What but, makes history complicated? Because historians are always exposed to new trends, new ideas. So think about this: if we were having, if radio had been invented. Well, we did have radio in the 1930s. If, but if we were having this conversation in the 1930s, the over, 
overarching narrative of the Civil War in the South was the lost cause. Mm-hmm. You know, we lost, but it was ennobling loss. We, we stood for right. We stood for states' rights. And uh, African-Americans, Negroes would have been the term at best, were better under slavery than they are now. Or they're, they're better are, in slavery f- than they would have been in, if they had been left to, the, to freedom in to Africa. Point. Yes. Well, they, you know, they were better off. Yes. It's funny that you say that, though. So part of it is the interpretation. Is what, So Tom and I, I grew up in Ohio. Tom was Virginia. Virginia. And we had very, learned very different things about the Civil War. So you know, slavery learned, was not uh, the cause of the Civil War, Gary. It was states' rights. That's states what rights. Tom learned. That was uh, but in the, the 60s. But I learned in Ohio learned. about Harriet Tubman. We read about Frederick Douglass. Ulysses so, S. Grant. So we, we <laughs> were very, it was a very different educational experience for me compared to what it was for Tom growing up in a, in a southern state. I, I was a grad student at the University of North Carolina. I'm from Illinois. In the early 1970s, just at the moment when black history was was emerging as, as a field. And I remember the controversy at the university of students, students' grandparents complaining, we had slaves and those slaves were grateful. And, and so this is not a new argument. This is an argument that's been raging for uh, far more than a half century. The uh, an, another thing that's happening um, around the the state of Florida is that um, museums and, and such and historic sites are updating their um, their exhibits. Yeah. So, for example, there's this Jimenez Facio House in St. Augustine that was a boarding house, and for years and years and years, you could go you could go there and tour it, and it was all about all the, the white people that stayed there. And they just, a couple years ago, expanded the exhibit to actually include the stories of the servants and slaves who worked there, who were even the, the servants and slaves who traveled with the people who stayed in the boarding house and had to sleep in the attic with the, the house slaves and house servants with the luggage. So there's a whole other um, hidden story that hasn't been told in the past that now is starting to be told. And, and beginning in the 60s, in the teaching of history and the particularly young graduate students were attracted to the other half. Yeah, that's when I was a young grad student, I began studying Italian immigrants, in part to answer questions about my family, but in part, God, these were the the most degraded people I ever knew mm-hmm. were these working. So this is part of that struggle in history. And an interesting sidebar there is, particularly to the debate that's going on, I think history should also make students uncomfortable at times, mm-hmm. that, that America has not always been on the side of righteousness. Mm-hmm. Uh, slavery is merely one example there. The Japanese internment now, camps. Now, you and, and the end of you Reconstruction. You shouldn't overwhelm students with only teaching that. There should be a balance. But <clears throat> this whole idea that you're going to bruise someone's feelings or psyche that's not always a bad idea. Well, you mentioned the lost cause and how that uh, <coughs> uh, led to uh, basically a revisionist history that put uh, the South and its struggle to maintain slavery 
uh, in, a, in a, 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 a weird context. But that also led to the uh, erection of uh, statues honoring these traitors, um, particularly Robert E. Lee, who had, you know, sworn an oath and gotten a free education at West Point. It's one of the reasons Grant hated him so much was because he got a free education, <laughs> swore an oath to protect this country and, and, and the Constitution, and then, you know, was one of the leaders of the rebellion. So that led to all these statues. And now when the people try to take these statues down, as it happened here in Tampa, finally, they say we're destroying history. Um, where I, do you, what do you think of this idea that people learn history from statues? I was serving on the Hillsborough County Historical Commission around 2000 when the debate over what to do with the Confederate statue outside county courthouse, but also on the Hillsborough County seal was a Confederate soldier. And we, we removed it. And I got some very angry letters, by the way. Uh, this is part of, this is not new. This has been happening for centuries in, in other places. Uh, you don't see, if you, if you visit Europe, you don't see a lot of soldiers of uh, Nazi heroes. In Italy, you don't see World War II monuments. Mm -mm. They're, they're all to the Great War, World War I. So, and I think Robert E. Lee was actually, has been, has said he was, he was against that. Put your put your uh, 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 your swords away. Put your colors away, and he, he wanted to unify the country by admitting defeat. But they used him to try to reclaim their cause. Well, the on the Statuary Hall of Fame, every state has two <coughs> statues. In Florida, and his name's escaping me now, but we just took him down and replaced by. Uh, Mary McLeod Bethune. Yeah. Yes. He was the last Civil War general uh, in the in the capital. in the South to surrender. Oh, uh, uh, and uh, he was a St. Augustine uh, resident. Well, uh, you had mentioned that your uh, piece on uh, the on um, African American uh, experience during World War II grew out of your research on a, a book about Florida in World War II. Um, can you? Tell us what some of your findings are. We didn't really talk about, we, we talked about some of the inspiring stories that were going on. But also, let's face it, um, it was not a great situation for African Americans no, then, right? No. World War II is, is a defining event in American history. Uh, 1941, 1945, although it begins in 1939 in Europe, earlier in Asia. It is a global conflict involving tens of millions of soldiers. Uh, one book I recently read said, beginning in 1939, ending in 1945, a person died during the war every three seconds. So wow. think about that. Every three seconds in six years, someone died, mostly by starvation, not by, by gunfire. It was, so it's just a terrible war. In some ways, Florida is on the rosier side of this in that uh, we, we had some submarine attacks off right. Florida's base. There was actually an invasion of Florida by German saboteurs yep. in 1942. The, it's the first invasion of Florida since the British invaded the White House. Uh, uh, it, it happened south of St. Augustine. Actually, it happened in Ponte Vedra, 
<laughs> Listeners, what, what famous Florida resident <laughs> lives in Ponte Vedra? Uh, Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis, yeah, yes. It's now a very famous Tony uh, golf course. Uh, <laughs> they were tried, the, I think six of them were tried, convicted, and executed in about two months. Uh, the, two of them were not executed, but four of the, four of the six. <clears throat> but you mentioned that, uh, you know, our, our view of history changes with time and as more information is gathered. And you started specializing in studying Italians. Um, and, and we mentioned the statues. And, of course, we have a, a statue to Columbus on Bayshore Boulevard in Tampa. Um, and there has been, uh, that's controversial. Some people don't believe we should be putting Columbus on a pedestal. Uh, where do you come down on that? Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> Columbus was an extraordinary navigator. He would not have considered himself Italian. There was no Italia in 1492. He would have defined himself as a Genovese, someone from Genoa. But he was embraced by Italians. But he's, going, he's, and I, I believe some of this uh, push to have a statue to Columbus was in reaction to the anti-Italian um, uh, sentiments that were so common in Tampa at the time, right? I mean, weren't there, weren't Italians and African-Americans treated in a very similar vein in Tampa? African-Americans were treated worse, but Italians were uh, frowned upon the worst mass lynching in the history of Tampa. Two Italians lynched in 1910. The sheriff surrendered them to a mob. They took them to the corner of today's Kennedy, then Grand Central, and hmm. Howard, and they were lynched in a tree. And... They were union organizers, I assume? They or were... Or maybe anarchists? They, they were... Uh, it was a strike. They, they yeah. were strikers going yeah. on. And the next day, they were selling postcards of the lynching. And the governor forbade this, not because it was insensitive. It was bad for tourism. Uh, That's but, the Tampa but, way. The Florida way, yeah. 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 And, yeah I mean. The 400th anniversary of Columbus's voyage is in 1892, that's also the year of the worst mass lynching in American history of Italians in New Orleans. About 13 or 14 Italians were, were lynched in New Orleans. My family came originally to Louisiana to work the sugarcane fields. And many of them came to Tampa, right? Yes, and yes. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF. Um, we're talking to historian Gary Mormino about the challenges of teaching African-American history or history in general in the state of Florida. Um, this is a public affairs show, but we've got lots of uh, on our um, broadcast channel, but we have lots of great shows also on our HD channels. And um, let's hear about one right now. If you love classic soul... R&B, Caribbean, gospel, hip-hop, or house music. And if you love podcasting and exclusive interviews, if you love urban culture and urban music, then you will really love the Urban Cafe channel. You can find it here on HD2 if you have an HD2 radio, or you can go to WMNF.org and download our mobile app so that you can listen to it all the time. And... Tom and I highly recommend the Urban Cafe. We love Wonderful. that channel. We got a couple um, callers on the line, so let's go to let's go to those right now. I think we do. Let's try this. So 
Hello, you're on the line. Are you there? Uh, I am. If you're talking to me, yes, it's okay. It's Pat Kemp, and I just wanted to say it's just always so wonderful to hear um, Gary Mormino. Especially important. Um, thank you both for uh, bringing Gary on. Um, it's just such a important. Uh, God, we can't talk about it enough right now. And I, you know, just a couple. I I could just get off real quick because I'll want to hear more. But, um, you know, that African-American history is all of our history. Mm -hmm. I think you said at the beginning. Um, and I, I think about, actually, when I saw, I just remember seeing the, the film Hidden Figures. I know it's a book also, which I keep meaning to read. But and thinking, oh, my God, you know, how could we not have known about these women that put up the first spacecraft, uh, these black women, uh, in Virginia, and it's just all these stories that have not been told that we don't know about, and these women weren't honored. Um, some of them weren't alive anymore, but uh, several of them were in their 90s when their stories finally, uh, and their importance in this in this world and to our, our nation finally, you know, came to light. Um, but I also, I just wanted to say, when I was listening early in the program about the murder versus lynching, um, that the governor at the time contested. You know, honestly, I thought about Ron DeSantis in Jacksonville when he called the murderer, the white supremacist, racist murderer, um, he called him a scumbag, not acknowledging, you know, that part of, uh, of this um, uh, a murder. This, this, this not denouncing murder. the hatred behind it. Not at all, and not taking any responsibility for what he has done. Yeah. And I think people in the crowd were shouting, you have blood on your hands, I heard, or, you know, things like that. And, and I, you know, he, he has put this out there. He has, he's going to whitewash black history. I mean, I just can't even believe what's happening now. And calling, I heard all the, the textbooks not only saying that people learn skills, um, enslaved, but you know that they're instead of enslaved uh, people, they're trying to go back to the term slavery again, which I think you know just brings people this language. Right, it, it labels um, them rather than saying that something was done to them. Right, 1984ish. It's just it's just horrid. And um, anyway, I just wanted to say thank you again, um, Gary Marmino, for all your work, and thank you all for um, bringing this to. Uh, so that we can all hear it. Thank you, Pat. Thanks for calling. It's always good to hear your voice. Mm -hmm. um, that was Hillsborough County Commissioner Pat Hillsborough Kemp. County Commissioner Pat Kemp. Um, and uh -huh. let's go. We got another caller. Caller, you're on the line. What's on your mind? Hi. Hey, I just wanted to make a statement. I've heard some of the gentlemen on there say or repeat something about maybe a slave being free, and all of a sudden they might say something that they were better off enslaved or somebody might interpret that that they were better off enslaved than they were as as opposed to being set free and i want to say that i've heard that statement before but i want to say that they should whoever makes that statement should finish the, the story and and let me give you an example this is the only thing that i can think of if i was a if, if i was a rescued animal if i was a person who rescued animals and and say if i had 10 dogs in the back of my yard and all 10 of those dogs were chained up, and, 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 and there was a fence around them. So they couldn't go anywhere, and they were chained up. But every day, I gave each one of those dogs a, a can of dog food and, and a bowl of water. So they were surviving, but they were chained up, 
and, and there was a fence around him. Well, one day somebody comes in and say, you can't do that. And you got to let these dogs free. And I say, well, okay. I take the chains off and I open the fence up and I let the dogs go. Well, when the dogs are set free, everybody's chasing them away, running them away. They, they can't get any food. Mm-hmm. They can't get any water. People are shooting at them. People are killing them when, when they see the dogs. Well, the dogs finally end up running back to where they were chained up at. Yeah. And, and, and if a dog could talk, the dog would tell you, well, when, when I was free, when they set me free, nobody wanted me. Nobody would hire me. I couldn't speak the language. Right. I couldn't do the job. I couldn't go to school. And so that's why when I, when I came back here, you could put the chains back on me. But at least I get a can of food right. and, and, and I get a glass of water every day. So when somebody says a slave or somebody who was set free feels much better off if they were back in their captives, back back to where they were captive or where they you know in in in, the, in you know in the arms of the captives, then then you got to tell the story that when they were set free, then they they just couldn't do anything. Right, they didn't know. And I just wanted to say that because that's really bothered me, and I, I just wanted to get that off my chest. And thank you for letting me um, say that. Okay, I, I think that's you. a good analogy. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for the call. Although I would also add that. Uh, these folks uh, were in Africa and they were taken away from their communities and their families. And uh, it uh, is a little arrogant to think that we know better than you, so we're going to bring you back over here. I think that's, I think the point he was trying to make, though, I, is I that they, yeah, they, they had spent their entire lives locked up and then didn't have the ability right. to survive on their own. And, and, once, and so that's why they go back, because this is where I'm getting my food and United, water. Once slaves were freed in the United States... We did promise them 40 acres and a mule. They never got anything. They got never, never got any sort of compensation for the brutality that uh, was caused them. Um, Gary, you have, um, let's talk a little, move on and talk a little bit about your um, latest book, Dreams in the New Century. Um, and you won a gold award from the Florida Book Awards about that. Um, tell us about that. Uh, what's the book about? And it's especially right now is probably an interesting time to talk about it because it's about the Florida dream and what is the Florida dream now where we're living in a place that we're having these horrible hurricanes one after the other. We've got this, this whitewashing of African-American history, affordable housing, crisis. affordable housing crisis. Tell us, talk about the Florida dream. Tell us about your book. The book deals with the first decade of the 21st century, 2000, 2010. Yes. I realize that's 11 years, not a decade, but I, I, I had just retired in uh, 2012 and said, you know, that was, that was an extraordinary decade. I had previously done a book about Florida from roughly the end of World War II to the year 2000. And I must admit, when I finished that book about 2001, I was pretty optimistic about Florida. And writing from the vantage point of the last five years when I was writing this book— I, I had lost that optimism, and I was. Sh- but I figured, well, that's me, academic, and on my book tours, I will ask audiences, and I will point out, please be honest. There's no right answer here. How many of you are optimistic or confident about the future of Florida? I'm getting very few raised hands. Uh, I what sometimes no hands raised at most, maybe twenty percent. This and yet is, people are moving here in droves. This is, and this is not healthy for Florida. And, and I, I guess I'd also, if, and the, 
the reasons are pretty obvious. The the uh, the climate climate change is seems omnipresent. Hurricanes, the insurance crisis, uh, public schools, uh, politics in general, in particular, it's it's distressing, and. The irony here is Florida used to be, uh, there was almost a whimsical nature about it. It was sun and fun, mm-hmm. and you'd come here for your golden years in retirement. And it, there, there's, it seems to be there's a, a, a meanness, an edge now to, to everything in Florida. Hmm. Um, yeah, and you, you started, interesting, 2000, of course, was a, you, that a seminal year in Florida. I mean, that was the year of the, the recount, the yeah. presidential election when, you know, uh, we all know what happened there with um, Bush v. Gore. So what, what were the other big events sure. in that decade that you feel like sort of were a turning point for the state? Well, I, I also deal with Y2K. I mean, the turning, I mean, we listeners, we've, we've experienced something amazing. We witnessed a new decade, a new century, a new millennium yeah. uh, hmm. 23 years ago. <clears throat> By the way, there was a poll in 2000. They asked Floridians, are you optimistic or somewhat optimistic about the future? Two-thirds of Floridians said yes in 2000. So I, I deal with that election, which is pretty amazing. I mean, it's this... A roller coaster of an election, as you could imagine, the two, and then I deal with nine eleven. I mean, so think of that. After nine eleven, a right, and Florida played a role in that, a uh, significant role and in nine eleven. Think about it. The the answer is pretty simple. Why do you have about two thirds of the terrorist training in Florida, places like Venice, Pompano Beach? It's because we're a state of strangers. Yeah. No one, and they were actually going to public libraries and googling up. How do I fly a plane into a tower? <laughs> but in those days, no one was searching your, oh, they your emails, et cetera. Mm. So the 9-11, I mean, it seems like a century away. Well, Bush was in Sarasota. I mean, the, the on chapter, that day. At the time he found at the out. Time, yeah, yeah. He was reading My Pet my, Goat, My, my Pet Goat, I yeah. believe. Yes, uh, that amazing photograph of the press secretary leaning over. and He's all frozen. Uh, the the chapter most relevant to today's discussion is chapter three. It's called the year of the four hurricanes. It was about two thousand four. Mm-hmm. So two thousand four is an election year. Also within six weeks, Hurricane Charlie, which was supposed to barrel down Tampa Bay. the eye of Tampa Bay, uh, Hurricane Francis, Hurricane Ivan, and Hurricane Jean. Six weeks of hurricane fatigue. Uh, and they but, all went to Polk <laughs> County, by the way. I, I, people may forget, but there's a spot in Polk County. All four counties uh, went across that was, spot. Uh, <laughs> Lake Wales. Amazing. Lake Wales and a place I think called Lake Baffin. Yeah. Uh, uh, crisscrossed uh, three times. Yeah. Uh, but just the human tragedy. There's also a, some wonderful stories. I, I talk about a, a wedding in Okeechobee. Uh, I think I begin. No one, no one selects a, a hurricane as the day of their wedding, and their <laughs> the, the wedding is wiped out, and the community of Clouston is practically wiped out, and they take refuge in the Sugar Inn, a famous uh, uh, hotel there, and 
it's a wonderful bonding experience. Hurricanes can also be bonding. Uh, oh, yeah. You're helping friends in that. So it's uh, other chapters. There's a chapter on the Great Recession. Okay. Uh, which Oh, the, the housing for, crisis, for right? Closureville housing crisis. Uh, on oh, the pill mills, too. That was in that. Pill mill, opioid. The, the opioid uh, thing. That was, we were ground zero for that as well. Uh, so the... There's also Florida. It's always Florida. You know, I I get a kick out of the fact that the old maps from, you know, the 1400s, 1500s, Florida, the whole North America was called Florida. That is how it it was all Florida. So it's just this tail has always been wagging that dog all throughout the country. There's Um, also a chapter on the Ponzi state, all the Ponzi scheming going on. And the final chapter is is kind of what's happened to the Florida dream, which uh, was in shambles. But I think it's still, it will reinvent itself. Well, as I said, in a way, the Florida dream has changed or whatever, maybe not changed, but there's a new Florida dream right now because we have all these people who are moving here because they like Ron DeSantis. They like the way he handled the... um, COVID epi- uh, pandemic. So it's still a place where people feel like they can come and find a new life, a different kind of life. And in the meantime, we do really have great beaches. <laughs> There's really no better beaches in the United States as far a as I'm concerned. A lot of refugees from California, Illinois, Ohio, New York, many, many of them conservative coming here for freedom, uh, you know, gated communities, the freedom of gated community, et cetera. So uh, you mentioned you're not from Florida, but you have uh, specialized in the history of Florida. And as I mentioned uh, earlier, you co-founded the Florida Studies Program uh, at USF St. Petersburg. With Ray Arsenault. With Ray Arsenault, who famously wrote a great history of the influence of air conditioning on the development of of Florida. Um, That program continues what is it that uh, prompted you all to do that, to focus on a state that a lot of people really would go, eh, we don't have that much history here? And Ray and I had been in Florida for over 20 years when we found it. But I think, and we both came, he came as a Southern historian. I came as an immigration historian. We were close. We each had uh, two daughters. Uh, we each had Fulbrights. I mean, we, we were... Uh, doppelgangers in a lot of ways. Ray far more distinguished. I should, I should uh, be honest. But we, I think we realized by the 1990s there there was really something special about Florida, and it really wasn't well studied. Everyone studying the South was studying Texas or North Carolina, South Carolina. So it's South, but but it's also North. There there. It's it's uh, right. in the 1930s, the federal uh, guide to Florida, the WPA guide to Florida said, it's the only state where to travel north, you have to travel south. Yeah. <laughs> and so we we weren't sure it would succeed. I mean, who, but it was a wonderful success. It's hanging on now. Uh, we still got students, a new generation of leaders. Chris Meinl is now the, the new director. I think Florida becomes more and more interesting and more and more oh. relevant, you know, and, the his, and his, you know, we have St. Augustine. I mean, there's a lot of history 
in Florida, a great deal a of history in Florida. Turnstown, and, and again, it just keeps on becoming more interesting. We're the third largest state now. Um, you Put know, we've got two go, two um, Republican candidates for president live in Florida. Well, actually, three if you include the mayor of Miami who didn't F- make three. it on oh, the yeah, debate stage. Right. And, uh, well, and yeah. he's under investigation by the FBI. But, you know, we'll see if he stays in. So po- Politically, Florida was insignificant before 2000, except for the election of 1876. <laughs> I mean, I put this in perspective. <laughs> on the eve of World War II, Florida was the smallest state in the South. South Carolina and Arkansas had more inhabitants than Florida. I think New York was nine or ten times the size of Florida. And in 2012, we passed New York as the third largest state in the nation. I mean, there's no other state that's ever had that kind of just intense growth. And growth has consequences. Mm -hmm. And we deal with it every day. Traffic, pollution, uh, uh, wildlife destruction, destruction of habitat. I mean, it's a struggle. And all this is happening even as really parts of Florida already are seeing impacts of, of climate change, yes. you know, with the sea level rise. So, and yet people still keep coming here and we keep on building and we keep on weathering these storms, so to speak, which as you said, you know, relevant to talk about today that uh, for those of us who have been here a long time, you know, you're watching it, you're nervous, you're cautious, but we've been down this road before and, and you know, we will survive. Now, a lot of the research you do is in uh, archives, microfish and old newspapers and and things like that. Um, Are you concerned uh, that the slow withering of the newspaper business is going to have an effect on our ability to tell accurate history going forward, Gary? Phil Graham once said, uh, newspapers are the first draft of history. I, I am a newspaper hound. I love reading newspapers early 20th century papers, my, I now have trifocals. <laughs> uh, and and in the, the book chronicles a decade of implosion of the newspaper industry. Uh, on 9-11, if you think about it, 9-11, it was that seminal event where everyone wanted a souvenir edition. Press, uh, newspapers printed thousands of extra copies to sell. And then someone said about a year later, you realize... We don't want to know what happened yesterday on the front page. I want to know what happened right now. Right yeah. now. Yes. And CNN uh, and, and other oh, right. institutional changes. That's when that started, yeah. But I, mean, I, I was fortunate to be the communications director at USF St. Pete for a couple of years, and Gary was always one of the highlights of my working there. And I would frequently get clips, <laughs> newspaper clips that he would mail to me. As he's doing research, he would find something uh, fascinating, and sometimes it was about Cuban sandwiches. And I believe you're also researching a book about Florida foodways, right? Yes, I um, teach a class on. F- looking forward to ah. you finishing that, and and uh, I know we only have a few more minutes, and we touched on the importance of World War II uh, on Florida. But can you briefly explain how important World War II was the development of Florida? Well, on the eve of the war, we're the smallest state in the American South. We had, I think, on the on the eve of Pearl Harbor. 15 military bases. By the end of the war, we had 200. Think of, think of Hillsborough County alone. Right. 19, before 1939, no, by 1941, we have two mega bases, Drew and MacDill. 
Drew Field is today's Tampa International Airport. McDill's still standing. Henderson, Even bigger than it was thanks to 9-11. Henderson Field was where USF, on the edge of USF, Mel's hot dog stand was the men's canteen, the uh, <laughs> officer's canteen. And there was another base. Maybe we had three bases, but I mean, it was a military county. So we had, had a lot of bases. military people coming into Florida for the first time and seeing what Florida really could be like. Imagine going, being a recruit in Miami Beach in February. Your, your barracks is the Art Deco Hotel there. And everyone's writing, someday I'm going to return to Florida. And you could argue they, they probably did. Mm -hmm. As a yeah. tourist, as a retiree, uh, it's the American, the Florida dream at its best and worse sometimes. Yeah. We got just a few minutes last, left, but we got a, a caller on the line. So let's take this call. Um, you're on the line. What's on your mind? You got about 30 seconds, 45 seconds to talk. To say a quick hello to my favorite professor, Dr. Marmino. This is Kelly Benjamin calling. Oh, me. Kelly, oh. hey. As I'm going to uh, <laughs> grab uh, a, a, a truck full of sandbags ahead of the campaign, <laughs> I wanted you to know I, I, I quote you somewhat cynically, fairly regularly when I talk to friends about the current state of Ybor City. Um, every generation deserves an Ebor City, and every generation gets the Ebor City it deserves. That's true, Kelly. That's so true. Thank you so much. Good You're a wise Ebor. man. You might want to take those sandbags up to Cedar Key. I think they might need them more than you. Yeah, you're probably right. Thank you, Kelly. Thanks for calling in, Kelly. Um, so, Ebor City, well, you also, we didn't really talk much about Ebor City, but in this last, last minute, what do you think about the transformation in Ybor City? You've been following what's happening there for a long time. I to quote Kelly, who quoted me, every generation deserves this Ybor City. I, I'm not particularly in love with today's Ybor City, but it's not my generation's Ybor City. If I could go back in time, I would go to 1910. And, <laughs> right. uh, but, I don't know uh, about the air conditioning there, back then, Gary. There's nothing quite like Ybor City. I mean, I'd yeah. love to take classes there. It's the best place for a walking tour. The, the, the Roland Mantegas are no longer there, speaking of newspapers and, and Ybor City and characters, but it still breathes a romance and exoticism. It, it really does. Well, I they mean, are now having a little bit of an art renaissance, which is, which is kind of nice to see. There's a lot more artists down there than have been there before, a lot of activity on that front. Tom and I have been enjoying that, so... Um, well, Gary, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate it. It's been a great show. You're the best. Thank you. It's uh, hard to cover the entire uh, <laughs> history of Florida and uh, the history of African Americans in Florida, but we've done our best, and I hope everybody's enjoyed this. And and, and uh, I, don't, I think we could talk a lot about the history of Florida. I think we should have Gary on every other month. <laughs> I think that would be fantastic. Um, everybody stay safe out there. Stay on top of the, um, the news. Pay attention to what's going on if you're... Um, living for very far north of uh, Tampa. Our, our thoughts are with you. Um, you are listening to WMNF Tampa. Up next is Alternative Radio. Yeah.